0: Um, I'm thank, thank you, (laughs) Penn. Can we say bedtime again? So I'm really uh, grateful for the New City family. Uh, Dana and I are new to the church, and it's just been amazing to see uh, the community that we're now a part of. I'm thankful for my family and my sense of community. I'm thankful for our four children that opened our eyes to the world. Spending time with my family. I'm thankful for being known and and belonging. I'm thankful for my home, both the structure and the people in it. I'm thankful for coffee um, and caffeine and any sorts of that. We dated once, and now, you know, the second time around, um, we ended up getting married, so I would say second chances. Grace, do-overs. I'm thankful for my family. My family. Food and family and friends. Right now, I'm really feeling thankful for roots and relationships. I'm grateful that somehow in our weak weakness that God's strength is perfected in and through us and that He takes our meager offerings and multiplies them and somehow uses them for our good and, and His glory. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful for finding beauty in every season. Food, uh, my brother. I'm thankful for new perspectives and new friendships. I am truly thankful that I found God. Um, It hasn't been that long ago that happened for us, so it's it's just been an amazing journey. I'm thankful for God's faithfulness and provision. Yeah, I think for me it's it's fulfillment. Grace. I'm really thankful that the Lord allowed me to be born here in Charlotte and I love this city and I'm very thankful to be here. Just grateful for um, this season and to be able to lead together. The supernatural relationships that God has developed through this through this forum that the church has given us through, uh, through youth ministry. I'm thankful for friendships. But I think really what I'm most thankful for in life is just people. I'm thankful for really good stories. That we have a roof over our backs and clothes. Redemption. Our family just takes care of us. Being able to see the faithfulness of God across the generations. And my dad, um, before he died about eight years ago, he um, spent about the last 18 months of his life knowing Jesus and following him. And then on the other end, I now have three teens in my house. And so we're starting to see what life is gonna look like and what choices they're gonna make. And I think we're starting to see that God is faithful in spite of how we parent or the mistakes we make. He's just faithful and we're thankful for power that's something you can't take for granted apparently so (laughs) welcome new city church my name is tim briggs i'm the community groups pastor at the south park campus uh good to be with you all good to be uh in this school Uh, my wife and i spent two years uh tutoring uh here on thursday mornings and so we love this place Uh, We love you all, we love what you are doing here, and so we're rooting you on uh, from afar at South Park, and just glad to be with you here this morning, so thanks for having us. Uh, If you've been with us the last few weeks, you know we've been going through a series called Giving Up, and the premise of this series is giving up to God the things that we hold uh, most dear, the things that we hold most tightly to. And last week, Chris discussed giving up our, our finances, giving up our money, and he, he said, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. And that was a challenging message for sure. And this week, we conclude our series, and we'll be discussing giving up our thanks. Now, we just celebrated Thanksgiving, which brings about uh, thoughts of pilgrims and pumpkins and pies, and all of those are good things, right? Uh, but biblical Thanksgiving is something altogether different, It's not a a once-a-year holiday. It's meant to be a way of life. It's a way of life. Uh, To illustrate this, I think of my boys, and I think of them at the beach. So my boys love going to the beach. They love the ocean. They love the sand. They love um, burying uh, each other in the sand. They love burying me in the sand. They love wading out into uh, the water. They love avoiding sharks. That's a big topic when we're at the beach is avoiding sharks. Um, But they love everything about the beach. They could spend hours at the beach. And it made me wonder, why is it that they love the beach so much? Why do they love the beach so much? And I think it's because of the vastness of the ocean. I think they're just delighting in responding to how great the ocean is. There's a real uh, juvenile joy that they have a genuine happiness, a wide-eyed wonder when they're at the ocean. G.K. Chesterton says that gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. So let's pursue a juvenile joy, a wide-eyed wonder, as we open the Bible this morning and talk about gratitude. So we're going to be in Psalm 118 this morning, if you want to turn there. Psalm 118, and as you're going there, know that the Psalms are in the middle of the Old Testament. They serve as Israel's uh, songbook. They serve as our songbook as well. Uh, they tell us how to live life. It's an instruction manual of sorts. They give us a language, a vernacular of how to talk to God, how, how to be honest in the midst of our pain and our struggle, how to rejoice and give thanks and everywhere in between. Psalm 118 has a rich history. It was a psalm that would be sung at the Passover, and it's most likely the last psalm that Jesus and the disciples sung at the Last Supper. And as we read through this psalm, we're going to see the steadfast love of the Lord, our empty trust in others, and how to have thankful hearts. So Psalm 118, verse 1 through 4 says this. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. Amen. Amen. Right from the beginning, we're commanded to give thanks. And there's two reasons why we're to give thanks. One is... God is good. And the second is his steadfast love endures forever. Now, good is an overused term, right? We kind of lose some of the power of that word. Uh, We use the word good to describe how a TV show is or how a a meeting went or how our day uh, went. But when the text says, for he is good, what it's saying there is that God is the center of all things, pleasant, pleasant agreeable, and truly, morally good. You see, untainted, pure goodness can only be found in God. Don't lose the power of the word good. And connected to his goodness is the fact that his steadfast love endures forever. Now, there's a Hebrew word behind steadfast love. The Hebrew word is this word hesed. And it appears almost 250 times in the Old Testament, mostly in the Psalms. And it has an interesting history. That word has been very hard to translate into English. English translators have had a very difficult time trying to capture all that is hesed into English. In fact, one of my favorite stories is that in in the 1500s, there was an English translator who was struggling with how to translate this word into English. And he just created a word, which I love. (laughs) He created a hyphenated word, loving kindness. That was his way of translating hesed into English. The ESV translates it it mostly as steadfast love. Other translations use the word mercy or kindness or faithfulness. Writer and theologian Michael Card says, The idea behind hesed is this when the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. The person who I expect nothing gives me everything. So what verse 1 is really saying is God is good. We're not entitled to anything from God. Yet, His committed, initiating, sturdy, faithful love for us endures forever and once we understand that we have no choice but to give thanks no choice and we don't give thanks out of obligation or guilt we don't give thanks to coerce God into giving us more good things that's not how it works we give thanks as a natural response to God's overwhelming love for us Now, if, if this is the natural response we're to have from God, you may be wondering, why does the Bible command us to give thanks and rejoice? In fact, almost 250 times the Bible commands us to do that. If it's supposed to be a natural response, why does the Bible, time after time, command us to do that? You don't have to tell me to say, ouch, when I stub my toe on the, on the bed, right? Right? It's a natural reaction. If giving thanks is supposed to be a natural reaction, why does the Bible command us time after time? And the reality is, is that we don't give thanks. We don't give thanks. The reality is, is we don't trust God. We, we trust lesser gods. You see, God's steadfast love for us endures forever, but our faithless love wanders. Our faithless love wanders. If you're following along, Psalm 118 continues in verse 5. It says this, Out of my distress I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Now, you notice the voicing of the psalm changes in verse 5, right? Did you notice these two words? Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. We believe the author of the psalm is David, and we think he's, he's pulling from his own experience here. He's pulling from his own experience. This is not theoretical this is personal for David in verses 8 through 9 he says it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes I think David knows this all too well I think he has lived this he's put his trust in lesser things and it's left him feeling wanting more And you could say that misplaced trust is inherent to us because it was a part of original sin. Think back to Genesis 2, right? God says to man, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And then what does the serpent say? Do you remember? The serpent says, did God actually say You shouldn't eat of the tree. Did he actually say that? The serpent is sowing seeds of doubt. And Adam and Eve feel like they're missing out on something. This was the original FOMO, right? Do you know what FOMO is? Fear of missing out. This was the original case of FOMO right here. They felt like they were missing out. They did not trust God. They thought he was withholding and dishonest. And this continues today for us, right? Writer Ann Voskamp says, Our fall was, has always been, and will always be that we aren't satisfied in God and what he gives. We hunger for something more, something other. Because of the fall, we strive to, to better our lot. We feel the need to control our own destiny We feel the need to credit ourselves for our success and blame others for our failures. So instead of delighting in God, we run to other things things that promise life and fulfillment and satisfaction, but never deliver upon those promises. And the two main culprits are we trust in others or we trust in ourselves. We trust in others or we trust in ourselves. Uh, we look for life and fuf- fulfillment in other people, and people were never made to hold that place in our life. I'm guilty of this. I'm a people pleaser. Any other people pleasers in here? Don't raise your hand just to please me, okay? Okay, it's a real thing. Um, there's like three of you, apparently. I- I'm one of the few that struggle with this, but I can uh, live and die on a compliment or a complaint. People pleasers know this. You can live and die with a compliment or a complaint. And the other spectrum is we we trust in ourselves, right? This is pride. We think we know better than God. And if things go wrong, we complain and we compare. We take inventory over what we think we deserve and compare it to what we've been given, and it never measures up. And the reality to that is that's actually true. What we deserve... What we're owed is death and separation. And what we get is life and relationship through Christ. But that's not how we frame it, right? Here's the deal. Even if we were given more, even if we were given better, it would still not be enough. It would still not be enough. Whether we trust in others or trust in ourselves, it always leads to disappointment it always leads to complaining, and complaining always leads to grumbling, not gratitude. As an aside, our, our culture assumes that normal, peop- normal people operate with a, a, a certain level of discontentment, right? That's just part of the culture. If we want to be radical, countercultural, salt and light into our culture, here's a small, simple thing that we can do. Don't complain. Don't complain. Can you imagine how strange but attractive that would look if we didn't complain? People would wonder how how is that possible? How is it possible that they don't complain? They would ask some really good questions of us and we could point to Jesus along the way. So what are we holding on to when we're reluctant to give thanks to God? We're holding on to our trust in ourselves. Or our trust in others. Two things that can never hold the weight of our satisfaction. So we know God's steadfast love for us. We know our uh, propensity to trust in empty things. And so where does that leave us? Well, the text continues and it gives us some clues in verses 21 through 24, if you want to follow along. It says this. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. You probably know that verse, right? That's a very Pinterest-worthy verse. Uh, bumper sticker hand-stitched sort of verse right and it should be it's a marvelous marvelous verse we should be glad for every day that the lord gives us there should be just a general thankfulness and a general satisfaction for every day the lord has given us but in the context of this passage it's actually talking about something different something more specific In speaking of a particular day, it's talking about a day of triumph for the Davidic king. You see, this psalm is known as a messianic psalm. The New Testament confirms this in Acts 4.11. Jesus himself confirms it in Mark 12. You see, the center of our rejoicing is in the redemptive work of Christ. Jesus lived the life that we should have lived. He died the death we deserve, and he rose again. And he's inviting us into newness of life right now and for all eternity. God's greatest act of steadfast love is in the cross. It's seen in Jesus. I had someone say to me last week, if I'm I'm a sinner, will God still accept me? If I'm a sinner, will God still accept me? And I said, yes, (laughs) yes, yes. We're far worse than we think we are, but God's grace and love and mercy is far greater than we think it is. In fact, so much so, it's scandalous, right? This is the good news of the gospel. He takes our sin, and we get his righteousness. That's good news. The work of Jesus so beautifully magnifies the steadfast love of the Lord And because of the work of Jesus, the day the Lord has made, the day, becomes every day. The day the Lord has made becomes every day for us who are in Christ. Every day is an occasion to rejoice and be glad because of the work of Jesus. So to rejoice is to give voice to God's goodness. So how does this all work? We receive God's steadfast love for us through Jesus, right? And it stirs our souls and it stirs our affections and it leads to this feeling of gratitude. We have this feeling of gratitude and gratitude is like kryptonite to our greed. It's like kryptonite. It dissolves all of its destructive power and gratitude shifts our focus from what we lack to what we have. From what we lack to what we have. As John Piper says, gratitude glorifies the giver. And that feeling of gratitude, that feeling leads us to giving thanks and to rejoicing. It moves us into giving thanks and rejoicing because those are things that we do. Rejoicing and giving thanks, those are things that we do. So let's get practical for just a moment. How do we rejoice? How can we give thanks? What are some things we can do? To cultivate that in our lives. And I have four very simple things. They're four very ancient things. They're not brand new things, okay? They're very old, in fact. One would be preach the gospel to yourself. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves. As Tim Keller says, the gospel is not the ABCs of the faith. It's the A through Z. We never graduate from the gospel, right? Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones, he says, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. Preaching the gospel is a reminder of God's Hesed love for us. We don't, we don't deserve it, but we get it. And we need to remind ourselves of that constantly. Number two, we need to read the Bible. <laughs> it seems pretty simple, right? The Bible's pretty amazing. You should check it out. Read the Bible. Read the Bible uh, topically. Read it verse by verse, but read the Bible. And as you read the Bible, one of the things I learned early on as a new believer is something that I, I called PAR, uh, praise, ask, repent. You can, you can look at almost any passage, any chapter, particularly any verse in the New Testament, and there's something there for you to praise God for, there's something there to ask for, there's something there to repent for. Some of you may know this as the ACTS method, adoration, confession, Thanksgiving, supplication. Those are really big words, and so I had a trouble uh, remembering those. <laughs> so I turned it into par. But almost every passage in the Bible, you can do those things. You can look for something to praise God for, and you can give him thanks. So read the Bible and look for ways to praise God and to give your thanks. Thirdly, create daily rituals of giving thanks. Rituals form us. Repetition forms us. Right. So here's some just simple things you could do when you wake up in the morning. Right. You're laying down and you stand up and you could think to yourself, I'm so grateful that in Christ I was dead in my sins, but I've made it. I've been made alive in Christ. Right. You go to your closet, you put on clothes and you can remember what Colossians says about putting off your old self and putting on your new self. As you give thanks for a meal, you can thank the Lord for his provision, but you can thank the Lord for all the things that he has given you throughout the day. Look for rhythms in your daily life to give thanks. And lastly, uh, devote yourself to biblical community. Now, you might be saying, you're the community group's pastor. That makes sense that you would say that, and that's true. Uh, It's kind of a commercial Um, But here's also the the truth. I'm not paid on commission, folks, okay? So (laughs) I say this because it's for your good. People have a way of sharpening us, they have a way of sharpening us. And it's a good thing, it's a healthy thing. Devote yourself to biblical community. Now, you may be saying, This is great and all, uh, but you don't know what I'm going through. I have cancer, I'm going through a divorce i have having a strange relationship with my son. I just lost my job. This is great and all. I don't, I don't know how to give thanks and rejoice in this moment. I don't know what that means. I would encourage you uh, to read about Job. Job was in this position once. And in the face of unimaginable loss and suffering... Job's friends encouraged him to curse God and die. That's something they actually said to him. Curse God and die. Yet Job later on said, Though he slay me, yet still I hope in him. So how, how do we get to that sort of place? One thing I would, I would encourage you to is, is read the Psalms. Forty percent of the Psalms are lament. And lament is just this idea of, in your pain and in your disappointment, taking that to God. The Psalms give us a language, a prayer language of how to take our pain and disappointment to God. Here's the deal: God's not afraid of our honesty; He's not going to be intimidated by our honesty. This is one of the uniqueness, uh, the unique things about Christianity: is we don't serve a withholding, distant, harsh God; we serve a relational, merciful near God. That's the God we serve. He's not going to be scared with our questions and our pain and our suffering. Lament is fertile ground for sowing seeds of thanksgiving. It really is. And you might be saying, how is that possible? It's possible because in our lament, we're acknowledging that things are not the way they're supposed to be. In our lament, we're saying, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And it's like thirst, right? We thirst because water exists. We thirst because water is refreshing. Our pain and our sorrow tell us that there is healing, that there's something out there that's better and greater than our pain. Our pain points us to something greater. Now hear me clearly, there's no guarantee this side of heaven that our pain and suffering will be resolved. No one can promise you that. And if they do, run far far away from them that's not the hope of the gospel the hope of the gospel is that god will make all things new there will be a day when all of our pain and disappointment will make sense and there will be a day when all of our pain and disappointment will be gone and we'll once again be reunited with god this is a part of the day the lord has made Jesus will come back. All things will be made new, and we will be able to rejoice and be glad fully and truly. But in the meantime, we don't dismiss our pain. We wait, and we hope. And biblically, they're the same thing. We wait, and we hope. And I have to mention that today is the first day of Advent Some of you may not have grown up in a house that celebrated Advent, but Advent was a season in the church calendar of of waiting as a way to anticipate Christ, as a way for us to reenact Israel's longing for a coming Messiah, but also look within to our own yearning for Jesus to come back. That's what we do. We wait. So in our waiting, we strangely and oddly lean into our pain And we remember what Hebrews 4 tells us, that we can draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. We can turn our lament into a love song. We can turn our lament into a love song. As we close, I'm reminded of a story. There were uh, two kids who grew up in the same home. They went to the same elementary school, the same middle school, the same high school. One of them went on to college and graduate school, became an entrepreneur, became a businessman, became a billionaire, right? The other uh, did not go to college. He stayed in the same hometown. He became a farmer. And at the 20-year high school reunion, they they came back together. And the billionaire was gloating about all the things that he had done, all the places that he had traveled, all the things that he had purchased. And as you might imagine, he was a bit condescending in, in the process, looking down upon all the people he went to high school with. And the farmer approached him and said, I have something that you will never have. And the billionaire thought that was funny. How is it possible that you, a farmer, would would have something I can never have? I have all of the money in the world. What could you have that I could never have? And the farmer said, I have enough. I have enough. We have enough in Christ. In fact... We have more than enough. We have life, we have hope, and we have salvation. As Christians, we should be able to give thanks freely, knowing the failures of our empty trust, knowing the steadfast love of God, knowing the saving work of Christ. And to live in that hope is to acknowledge that this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So, rejoice and give voice to God's goodness. Let's do that in prayer together, shall we? Lord, we are thankful for your steadfast love, and we're undeserving of it. We we should have a right to expect nothing from you, yet through the work of Jesus, you give us everything. You give us life, you give us hope, you give us satisfaction, you give us salvation, and we are thankful for it, Lord. Our response is gratitude and thankfulness. And, Lord, we, we confess that we trust in lesser things. We confess our love wanders, yet you are faithful. Even today, remind us, Lord, of the ways in which we wander, the ways in which we look to lesser things to give us life and hope and satisfaction, but never deliver upon those promises. Lord, allow us to rejoice and be glad in this day, knowing that this day is something that continues on and on and on because of the work of Christ. We are secure. We have newness of life here and now and for eternity. We're so thankful for what you've done for us. We pray these things in your name. Amen.